The Well is a gospel-centered church located in Boulder, Colorado. We exist to proclaim the gospel and make disciples. For more information about The Well, please visit us online at www.boulderwell.org. I'm going to do just a couple of footnotes to this slide, and then we'll we'll move on. Um, one footnote is just uh, this is this is an example of making explicit, uh, so that there's not a misunderstanding. Uh, I would not say that if you are conscious and intentional about theology, it will always result in good theology. That's not what I'm saying any more than somebody who practices their golf stroke or anything else at great length uh, attains Olympic-level ability, right? So I'm not suggesting that this is a guarantee uh, or that uh, what this implies. So let me point to people like myself. What this means is just because somebody's a professional theologian and has published books doesn't mean they've gotten it right. So we always need to stay alert to that. But, but the odds are, right, back to the idea that without this conscious, intentional effort, there's little likelihood of growth, maturity, improvement, if I can put it that way, on the one side. On, on this side, um, yeah, this is, the, this is the problem with bringing my wife. She said, you really need to talk about this. Uh, and she also said that this is consensus, which means she was kind of conspiring with people over here. I'm, I'm glad you have empty chairs around you. So uh, she said, what is an example of unconscious, unintentional? Well, what does that look like? The, 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 the problem is, because it's unconscious and unintentional, it's a little hard to describe. So let me set up a contrast here of an example of intentional theology at work in an arena where somebody might think that has nothing to do with theology. Okay? So uh, though I'm not in the same shape that most of you are in, um, I love to hike, love to backpack. And uh, like many of you, I take energy bars and, you know, uh, things to tap along the trail. And I'm not bragging here. Again, I'm, I'm just using a personal illustration to try to draw out the point. After I've eaten my energy bar, I don't throw the wrapper on the ground. So again, I'm, I want to go at something that seems like a trivial meaningless, meaning empty action, right? I don't throw that on the ground. I stick it in my pocket. That is an act of theology. That's a theological act. Now, it doesn't mean <laughs> that when I've finished an energy bar, I say to Mike, Mike, the guy I usually hike with, hey, Mike, you got to stop a minute. I got to do some theologizing here to decide what to do with this wrapper. I, I put it in my pocket. I don't throw it on the ground. For me, that's a theological act. I have certain beliefs about the created order, what it is, 
how it should be treated. I'm mindful that I'm not the only one who's going to use this trail, which means what I do with the tra on the trail needs to consider other people. And my consideration for other people isn't just because, you know, the American Civil Liberties Union wants me to have a consciousness of other people. I have, I have theological beliefs as a Christian about human beings, about the created order, about society and my obligations and how to respect and honor people and the created order. That's, that's all theology. And it, and it, again, with maybe at the risk of using what might seem like a trivial example, I actually want a trivial kind of example to say that's a theological act for me as a Christ follower, to not throw that down, to put it in my pocket. So what would unintentional be? Unintentional would be I don't think about, I don't carry with me my view of God and the world and other people. That doesn't come with me. I, I, do, I do work, one of the areas I do work is in the faith and work arena, helping people kind of connect the dots between Christian faith and what they do in their paid employment during the week, right? The fact is, there are some people, not a majority, not a lot, there are some people who don't want those dots connected. If you can see where I'm going with this. You mean when I go into my business on Monday morning, I'm supposed to bring Jesus and my Christian beliefs with me? And I'm supposed to be kind of mindful of how my Christian beliefs that I just, you know, was raving about at the well on Sunday, now that's gonna, I'm going to carry that with me into my insurance agency or my brokerage firm? It's a lot easier to, frankly, I think for most people, unintentionally just say, hey, that's Sunday. This is now the world of trading. I'm a trader, and I know what it takes to get trading done. If, if we look at this... If we ask the question, why does it matter? And you read that and you say, well, this is what it's engaging. Imagine claiming to be a Christian, but saying, I'm really not going to pay attention to this stuff. I'll think about other things. <laughs> there, there isn't much left, right? But I don't want to leave it there. It matters because if we're going to do it well, all of us, it's going to take some conscious, intentional engagement like you're doing here this morning. Um, why do it? Because we've kind of, in a sense, established everybody is a theologian. So it's not a question so much of whether or not, but how. So here's a, and if some of you might want a short read, a little book, a very uh, wise guy by the name of Kelly Capick. Um, it's called A Little, in the, the article A is before little, A Little Book for New Theologians, tiny little book. He writes this, we can never rightly understand ourselves, our meaning, or true human satisfaction apart from knowing God. Growing in our knowledge of God changes our view of 
everything else. Everything else. We aren't all, our view of God, our relationship with God, does not kind of, should not be reserved and brought into play only when we're talking about the Bible or only when we're here at the well or only when we're explicitly talking about God. Our knowledge of God, if we're really going to be true to it, affects everything else. So in addition to when we think about why give time and energy to this, for starters, we're all theologians, and now to follow that, Theology pertains to everything. Whether or not I throw that wrapper on the ground or I put it in my pocket, my theology is being brought to bear. So I want to talk about just identify two things, and then we're going to have some discussion. And uh, just a heads up, depending on who you're sitting with, or near, um, for at least one of the discussions, I'm just going to say, you know, just turn around, have four or five people that you talk with. So if you're sitting next near a, an ex-roommate or an ex, uh, I guess the word isn't boyfriend, girlfriend anymore. I don't know what the language is. What's the language? I need a lesson. Pardon? A babe? No, what was it? B-A-E. Okay, Be believe it or not, I should know that we have, we have a millennial in the basement at our house, just so you know, we, we do, we do. Yes, we do, my wife says, and our, our well, our, so th the truth is, and I want you to, actually, this tells you the sacrifice we've made in being here this morning. I want to explain this to you, some of you may not get this, but, and you also have to know, we love our daughters, and they truly do love us. We really have very good relationships. But our daughter, who lives in the basement, uh, left town yesterday for five days, which means we have the house to ourselves. And when we woke up this week, she's got five days. Because we've been married 36 years, and, and we like each other. And we, you know, the thought of having the house to ourselves at this point is kind of nice. So if, if you ever meet our, I'm not even going to tell our daughter's name because I don't want you to meet her and say, hey, you know what your dad said when he, you know, anyhow. So just, and that was all lighthearted. If, if, you, if, if boomer millennial issues are a problem for you, just take what I said with a little levity, right? It's, it's okay. Well, that's a perfect segue to this. Um, so why do we do theology? I could generate a long list for the sake of brevity. I want to just try to give two hooks as to, so why do we do this? Which helps also understand why it matters. We do it with a view toward not a big ego, not being able to win arguments, not being able to impress people with how much we know or how smart we are. We do it for worship 
and wisdom. So I really tried to boil it down to just a few things. We do it for worship and wisdom. If we go back to that word, that etymology of the word theology, what's the first word? Theos. Theology is first, last, foremost, above everything else. It's about God. It's about God. If, if somebody were going, if they were, I don't recommend this, but if somebody were said, I'm only going to study one area of Christian doctrine, what is it? What would you recommend? If you were only going to study one thing, I wouldn't have you study predestination or eschatology, though that's these are all important. I hate to check anything off the list, but we need to grow in our knowledge of God, who God really is. There's so many misunderstandings, so many unfortunate caricatures and misunderstandings about who God is. And, and I would go so far as to say, and I'm not alone in this view, if your view of God is askew, chances are much of the rest of what you think is going to be askew. The, the, the analogy is the foundation in a building. If the foundation is level, square, solid, it doesn't mean that what's built on top is guaranteed to be good, but you've got a good chance of it with a good foundation. And if there's one, I, I don't even almost like to call it a doctrine, an area of growth in theological knowledge and understanding and insight, it is who is God? What is God like? And that really is, in my mind, the first and foremost task of theology and if, the, if we do that not so that we can be, have credentials, not so that we can win arguments, not so that we can know, why do we want to know who God is? So that we can worship him. So, so I say to students when they start in the theology sequence at the seminary, you know, this can be, and it's really, it's really in their hands, right? It really, when it comes down to it's their hands. You can take what you've learned here and you can have it roll over into how you pray, how you talk about God, how you think about God, what you say about God to other people. You can, you can take it into those spaces or you can leave it on the test paper. You can leave it in your class notes. Um, or you can use it to kind of club people over the head. Or you can turn it into, it is the raw material of worship. And that is the first and the last. In between is wisdom. Um, when I start the theology sequence at the seminary, I do a word association. Um, and I do a word association with the, the word theology. And it's fascinating. I do it partially because I enjoy watching the reaction so much. Um, among, and, and then I go up to the board, 
and I write down, I say, okay, tell me what came to mind. Those of you who know how word association works, somebody says a word and you don't filter, you don't censor, you just note the first one or two words that pop in your mind. I've been doing this for this particular exercise for probably 15, 16 years. And, uh, and then after people kind of gather themselves, I start writing, okay, tell me what came to mind. Always, always, um, always, <laughs> multiple people will say things like dry, irrelevant, unimportant, divisive, and I could continue down the list. And by the way, these are people going to seminary, right? So this is always encouraging when that's the way it goes. I do it because I know that this is where people come from. Theology isn't just to give us an intellectual framework. It's to give us wisdom. The knowledge of God is the beginning of what? A PhD? A career? Strength for argumentation? Knowledge of God is the beginning of wisdom. How ought we live our lives? And good theology, well done, and being mindful of it, should find expression in a life well lived. A life well lived, not just meaning I live the good life as American culture defines that. A life well lived before God and with other people. That's what good theology, well done, and well applied. And again, going back, that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. And you can't look to these guys to do that for you. The only way anyone's life will be well-lived is if they engage, they engage that process. And we can't do it alone. We look to other people. We need help. We need community. We need leadership, all of that. But those are, again, kind of necessary but not sufficient conditions because I need to take hold of this for myself. And I need to be the one to connect the dots between what it is I receive, what I learn, and how that's going to play out or not in my own life. So if, if to just simplify it and boil it down, why do we th do theology? For worship and wisdom. And again, I would just ask the question, what Christian shouldn't be interested in pursuing worship and wisdom. So uh, I'm going to not dwell on this slide because I want to get, I want to use what time we have left for more discussion-oriented interaction. But if somebody said, why? Because theology contributes to all of these things, and I don't have time, I won't take time to go through all of these things. Let me just comment on this one here. Some of you may be familiar with the term worldview. Some people call it life view. Some people call it reality view. They all mean the same thing, more or less. People choose the word for very semantic reasons. 
A worldview is, are those most fundamental, basic beliefs and values by which we live our lives. Everybody has a worldview. And again, it's some people have thought about it consciously, some people haven't. Do you think people are basically good or bad? We could spend all morning on that question, right? But something tells me you have some thoughts about that. Do you think history is going somewhere? Or is it a rudderless, directionless vapor that's just going to go on indefinitely with no resolution? Or do you believe in reincarnation and a recycling? Something tells me everybody in this room has some thoughts about that. Do you think that you have any responsibility, without getting in the list of what the responsibilities are, do you or do you not have some kind of obligation, however you can see that, in how you relate to other people? Something tells me, being in Boulder, you probably have a lot of thoughts about that, right? On and on the list goes. These are the basic that everybody, not just Christians, everybody has beliefs about these basic questions and those are the things that inform their lives, from, from Black Lives Matter to uh, the anti-fascist movement to everybody has certain basic convictions that then get worked out. Point here, for the, briefly, those are all theological questions. For a Christian, the answer to all of those fundamental questions are theological questions answers that are contemplated in light of life under God and what we learn from Scripture. All right, so I've got two questions, and we'll just see, we'll just see how, whether we get to the second one or not, So, because uh, I want you to have some time to discuss. So um, I've, I've kind of already tilted in this direction, which wasn't conscious. But again, being in Boulder, I think it's an appropriate place to raise the question of creation care, right? Um, so how might our theology impact our view of and our actions in relation to creation care? And if that word creation care is unfamiliar to you, let me use the more common word, the environment. Some people call it the environment, which I don't, and right now I don't want to get into terminology. By the way, it's not insignificant, but for our pur immediate purposes, the next few minutes, environment or whatever word you use. So um, just turn to three, four, five people, however it works, and uh, let's take, this will be kind of like speed dating, five minute a five-minute interaction, and then I want us to kind of circle as a whole again. So talk to each other about that question. I'm going to move up here so that I can uh, close this out. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm just trying to find a big group on the Get them.
Is this? Yeah. Um, so, and that also means since we don't have a roving mic, when you speak, speak uh, quite loudly so we can hear. So, how may our theology impact our view of and actions in relation to the environment or creation care or the world or whatever language for the moment you want to use? Um, just let's talk to the room. So, thoughts? Yes. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Excellent, excellent example. Um, and what's what's just linguistic literacy here? What's the What's the fancy theological word for what you just talked about? Anybody know what the word is? It, it's called eschatology. And you may, I, I only say that because if you do read about this stuff, you might bump into that word. What does eschatology mean? It means the Christian understanding of what ultimately will occur in the future. So it's the future. You may also be across the term, bump into the term end times. Okay? But here's, here's the point for, for our engagement. I think it's very well said. So one of the doctrines, when we teach a survey of theology, one of the doctrines that we, one of the you know, major topics we engage is eschatology. The fact is, what somebody believes about what will or won't occur out in the future affects how they engage that environment today. I, I recently was with a, a guy, and we were talking about this, and he said the following, and, and the point is, I could probably give many vignettes like this. He was on the staff of a church, can name nameless, this isn't about any particular church, and there was a, um, next to the photocopier machine, there are people who still use photocopiers, I know it's on so there was a, a photocopier machine and a printer, and next to them were two bins. One was the blue recycling bin, and the other was the trash. Somebody sent something to the printer. There was something wrong with it. So an office person, a staff person, came over to the printer, grabbed this sheaf of, you know, it was like, you know, some substantial number of pages, a couple of dozen pages, and both bins are right there, and this person threw them in the garbage. And, and this person I was talking with, and he didn't do it in a judgment, he he and he is a good, he just said he was so fascinated by this. Why would you, this was in a church office. And so he just, he, he, he kind of bumped into this person in the coffee room later on and just said, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm just kind of curious, you know, that, that I saw, you know, you took all those papers and the, the recycling bin was right there. And, um, you, you know, I noticed you put them, you didn't put them there, put them there. I, he said, yeah, I just wonder, did you, you know, did you think about that or, you know? And she said, oh, I, I didn't mean to make this a gender thing. This isn't about, believe, uh, real. she, he, 
the, the human being, uh, that's a theological issue, by the way, but that's not, that's for these guys to, to take care of. No, but the, the person really just said, well, what difference does it make? It's all going to burn up in the end anyway. Now, you have to understand that there are streets. So, example, you know, when I said um, just being intentional doesn't guarantee good results, here's one. There are streams of Christianity, not least American evangelical Christianity, that for years have had this theological belief, eschatology, that, quote, use the way it's used, it's all going to burn up in the end. That belief, intentionally and unintentionally, profoundly shapes the way people approach, treat, think about the created order. As opposed to, hey, let's bring another doctrine in here. It's called creation. God made it and what does Genesis say he said? It's good. It's really good. And in Romans 8, he says, I'm going to reclaim all things for myself. Well, if, if, those are the, if those are the bookends of the Christian story, how ought we live in between? Okay. Uh, others, other observations. Yes. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Good for you. <laughs> hmm. Yes. E excellent example of something you know I haven't mentioned yet, which is also you can have shared beliefs about some matter of theology. And it may work itself out in very different ways. So again, there's no guarantee that just because everybody is intentional, thinks well theologically, that everybody's going to, quote, be on the same page in terms of how we ought to live. Right? Because um, we don't have a lot of time left. I've got some potentially volatile examples that I won't use just because we don't have a lot of time. So... Well, I wanted to speak to the many Trump voters in the room. No, let me, let me, so let me, yeah, see, I told you it's volatile, right? See, I know, I know. As a friend of mine said, don't poke the dragon, man. Don't, no. So guess what? It may be hard for you to conceive, and let me preface this by saying, so just so you know, I voted, I did not vote for either major party candidate. 
Can, can that try to ease some of your thoughts that maybe I'm going to try to point in a political direction? I'm not. I, I, and that's my person. I voted. I did not vote for a major party candidate. Okay? But let me just tell you, I have friends who, if we were to do kind of a, a walk-through theology, we would be on the same page on just about every major doctrine you can think of. And I have a friend who has never voted for a Democrat in his life who voted for a Democrat. I was stunned. Not critical. Here, be very careful. Sup just surprised, because I know this guy. I know what makes him tick. I know what his social and political thoughts are. And that he would vote for a Democrat absolutely stunned me. Last week, I met a friend of mine uh, who I've known for quite a while. And uh, we went for a walk at Cherry Creek State Park. We went out for dinner. And nice of him, he bought dinner. Uh, and um, you know, I said, just knowing a little bit about you, so how do you, what, how do you feel a year into this presidency? He was gas-happy. Both of these guys are my brothers in Christ. Both of them are my brothers in Christ. And if I... Uh, Neither one of them is a professional theologian, but if I gave them each kind of a theology quiz, I think I'd probably agree with most of their answers. And by the way, let me just say, both of them, both of them cast their votes very self-consciously and intentionally as Christians. They did not check their beliefs at the door. Now, I have my own thoughts about what each of them did, right? The, the, kind of the way they connected the dots. And as my preface indicates, I didn't connect the dots in the same way that either one of them connected the dots, right? So people can share common beliefs and frankly, when it comes to applying them, this is complicated. I, I wouldn't want anything I've said here today for me to suggest to you that, hey, by the way, this is just real easy. It's not. It's complicated and it's messy. And you know why it is? Because I get this all the time. I teach theology. Why, why is theology so complicated uh, when the gospel is so simple? You know, Believe in Jesus and your sins are forgiven and what more do you need to know? Theology gets complicated because theology is connected to what we call the real world. It doesn't function in some ivory tower. It doesn't function in some bubble. Real theology, well done, engages the real world. And who of us thinks that the real world is simple, clean, uncomplicated, unambiguous? It's complicated. Uh, other, other observations out of your interaction. Anyone? Yes. Okay. 
Yes? Yes? Well, there, there's no simple answer to that. Sometimes things explode. I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying we should seek that, but I don't want to suggest to you that it doesn't happen. Um, we haven't talked about humility. I haven't mentioned humility yet, but let me just tell you that when I teach beginning theology, it's a word that occurs quite often. I don't use it to describe myself, by the way. It's, you know, just follow me and see how humble I am. That's one of the ironies. It's very difficult to talk about humility, right? Um, the, here's here's uh, this won't be a complete response, but here's part of a response. The posture I think we need to cultivate when, when thinking theologically is humble confidence and confident humility. I can't formulate this in a, like an Excel spreadsheet, right? I can't quantify it, but I can, I can adopt this as kind of an ethos, a posture, a tone of humble confidence and confident humility. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's identifying kind of two extremes and we want to avoid both of them. We want to be in the middle, somewhere in the middle. Which means, on the one hand, um, one of the things that has characterized certain sectors of American culture, particularly in the recent decade or two, has been whatever. That's the response to <clears throat> important, complex questions as well. Whatever. You know, whatever you believe, whatever you believe. That, that, and that's where I want to say the Christian is confident. When you hear about martyrs in the history of Christianity, and Christianity is not the only religion that has martyrs, I'm not, but when you hear about people who are martyred, people aren't martyred for opinions. They aren't martyred for perspectives. They're martyred for something that we call often a conviction. We ought to have convictions about some things. And, and it's not or, and none of us, we, let me put it this way, we all see in a glass dimly. I see in a glass dimly. I don't know everything. I don't always get it right. No one church. So uh, Chase mentioned, you know, my, Nancy and I are elders at Cherry Creek Presbyterian Church. We're in a particular church. We're committed to it. There's reasons why I'm in a Presbyterian church and not any number of other kinds of churches, right? Our church isn't the only church. I know this. I know this. So that, that combination of confidence, certainty, there are things we believe, I have convictions grounded in Scripture, and I hope I carry them lightly. I hope I carry them lightly. And I would say what I've just said won't occur apart from 
the work of the Holy Spirit and a life of prayer. And in I view, I also include in that engagement in corporate worship. Good worship that honors God, coupled with a life of prayerful engagement with God, will go a long way to helping, I think, cultivate a combination of confident humility and humble confidence. We're at the 12 o'clock hour. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for listening to The Well Podcast. For resources and information on how you can support our mission to proclaim the gospel and make disciples, please visit us online at www.boulderwell.org.